Welcome to the Faith is a Verb podcast, formerly known as the Back to Basics Bible Corner. Tracy, Amy, and Amanda here, and digging into scripture together is our favorite thing to do, because simply reading the Bible isn't enough for us. We want to actually study His Word. We have created this podcast as a means to study together with all of you, so we would be over the moon excited to have conversation with you in the comments here. Without further ado, let's go chew on some scripture together. Hello, hello, guys, and welcome back to the Faith is a Verb podcast. I know that I promised, if if you're on my social media, you saw on Monday, I promised that we were going to record this on Monday, and we were going to get it out to you guys. Um, Life has really been lifing. It has really just been lifing it up, and uh, our schedules have not been able to line up for us to get this done. It's tournament week for me and my kids, so we've had extra hockey games. We've had weird weather. Uh, I just haven't been feeling myself um very much this week as it did well the last several weeks um amy is obviously going through the struggles that she is going through right now and she is still not back with us to record yet um so we're asking that you guys continue to pray for her and amanda's had a lot of things going on in her life as well we we all have multiple kids we all have husbands that are not as equally yoked as we are right we all have all of these issues going on in life and sometimes it makes it a little bit hard um not to like give excuses or anything like that because we have made a commitment that we're going to do this podcast but just to let you know it makes it a little bit hard for us to get together sometimes and do this um but we had this idea Amanda and I to do this podcast and probably the next podcast because I'm I'm assuming it's going to take us two to get through this um, to do this a little bit differently and see how you guys like it, see how we like it. Give us some feedback on this, please, after you listen to this episode, whether that's by commenting on the episode or messaging us, um, emailing us. At, you'll be able to find our social media and our email and all that in the show notes. Give us some feedback and let us know how you like this. But what our idea is, um, is instead of us studying it beforehand and then going over what we learned with you, we want this to feel like we're sitting right next to each other, right? So we're going to do this study together and and take you step by step on how we each do our own little method of study, right? Like how we would do that if we were sitting at home by ourselves doing a Bible study. So the book that we're going to be studying on this podcast, and like I said, it's probably gonna take us two, is going to be the book of Ruth. So we're going to, we're going to, you know, get started by praying. Obviously, we're going to do a little bit of looking into the context because that's super important to know who it was written to and why it was written, right? Um, so that you can you can have the understanding as you're starting to read the scripture. And then we're going to start, we'll read chapter one, we'll go over it, we'll read chapter two, we'll go over it, and we'll see where we are on time, because we don't want this to be like a four hour long podcast. <laughs> so if we can get that done really quickly, then we'll go ahead and read chapter three and chapter four, so on and so forth, but we'll just play it by ear on that. Um, so Amanda, do you want to pray or do you want me to pray? I don't remember who prayed last time. It's my turn. (laughs) She was hoping I wouldn't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my. Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you for finally getting us all together today to record for this. I ask that you help guide us, guide us in our minds and guide our words to um, take what we need from the book of Ruth, who has so much to give to us, Lord. Lord, I ask that you bless all of our listeners and bless their day, Lord. And that you help us to continue to fight off the spiritual warfare that uh, the evil one continues to toss at us to try and stop us from doing this podcast. But we will not stop because we know this is where you want us to be, Lord. And 
I ask that you continue to be with Amy and help her through her struggles and help Tracy through hers and mine as well, Lord. I thank you for all of your many bountiful blessings. In thy name's sake, amen. Amen, amen, amen. I love whenever you pray, Amanda. I know that you always get nervous about it, but you do a great job. And I feel like I'm always going to tell you that because I got to affirm that you like you did a great job so that you know, like <laughs> you don't sound crazy even if your mind is telling you you sound crazy. Okay, so before we jump right into looking at the context, I want to go over a little bit of what I have and then let Amanda go over what she has in front of her. Like, what are we using to do our study? Right now, I have my copy of the One Step Closer Bible that Amanda got me that I read from every single week whenever we do these. I have it open to the Book of Ruth. I also have my copy. Again, I'm showing you guys as if you can see me. You can't. <laughs> Use your imagination. Um, I have my copy of the scripture. Right now, she is holding up her Bible. It is tan in color and it is open up to Ruth. And now she is laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm already tearing up. <laughs> so I have my copy of the scriptures 2009 open to Ruth. On my phone, I have my phone open to eSword where I have a third version. Um, this one is, I don't typically read from the King James version um, and not not for any real reason other than it's difficult for me to to read that like the the Shakespearean language is difficult for me to understand right um but I like on eSword on the app the King James KJV plus version which is the King James version with the Strong's numbers why is it important to have that one because I like to look up what specific words mean as I'm doing my study so I have that one open and typically I would also have my Septuagint open because what I'm studying is in the Old Testament and the Septuagint tends to be a little bit more accurate in a, of a translation than anything else. Um, I don't have that one open today just for time's sake. And then also on my computer, I have Enduring Word open to the book of Ruth so that I can look at commentary while always remembering that man is fallible and any commentary ever is written by a man. It is not written by God. It is not the inspired word of God. So we have to take that with a grain of salt, right? It's just to kind of help you out if you're, if you find somewhere that you're struggling. And then last but not least, I have the uh, cross-references link that we always have in the show notes. I have that opened up. So at, at any point in time, if I run across a verse that I want to look up a cross-reference to see if this was put anywhere else or if there's anything else that relates to it in previous scriptures or future scriptures, I can do that, right? I think it's very important that we're able to have all of our supplies ready and, and we're covering all of our bases. And then I also have my highlighters. I have my... Um, where to go? There it goes. I have my uh, permanent marker pen so that I can write on my clear sticky notes because I like to put all of this stuff in my Bible too. And then I also have my notebook in case I need to write a, a more lengthy note. Um, so yeah, that and that's anytime I do a study, I will have these things open. Whether I'm sitting in my Bible closet or I'm sitting on my bed like I am right now, or I'm at the table, or I'm at the bar, I will always have these things open. And sometimes I'll even have other versions of, of the scriptures like open around me, but I, I always make sure that I have everything ready. I get all my stuff. I get situated. Oh, I did forget one thing. I need to go get my head cover because anytime I'm doing study, I want to cover my head. So I am going to grab my head cover. Um, 
in just a second while Amanda goes over what she prefers to have in front of her. It also really helps me to have sticky notes. Again, I'm showing you guys all these things you cannot see. I have clear sticky notes and that's why I use the permanent marker um, pen because the clear sticky notes work better for that. And then it doesn't cover up the scriptures, right? Like it doesn't cover up what you're writing on. And then I have regular paper ones. So that's it for me. I'm going to go and grab my cover while she is going over what she needs. All right, so I have my One Step Poster Bible, which I use um, daily. I also have my Jesus Bible, but I really enjoy those ones quite a bit. I always have a notebook, sticky notes, my phone. I do use Google and Enduring Word on that. I also have my Tony Evans Bible Commentary, and I have a book called Who's Who in the Bible, and then I also have another little book that's called The Books of the Bible Made Easy, along with my highlighters and pens and stuff like that. But really, ultimately, all you need is a Bible and a pen. Yeah. That is basically what you need. So Bible, pen, and prayer. Mm -hmm. That's really it. That's that's the basics. That's what you need. And that's what I started off with. Like whenever I, whenever I started this, I didn't have multiple versions of the Bible. In fact, the only version of the Bible that I had was a Catholic version. Um, I had that and I had a pen. I didn't have Bible study supplies, right? I didn't have a bunch of special highlighters for that or anything like that. I had a pen. I had my Catholic version of the Bible. And then I had my phone. I literally Googled what is the most important book of the Bible so that I could like know where to start. Like what, what am I supposed to start with? Right. Um, so yeah, that's what I did. And, uh, it, it grew from there right now. I've learned different study techniques that help me to understand things better and all of that. And that's whenever you start getting all of this, this extra stuff in there, but it's certainly not necessary. Um, also in the show notes, as always, we have our two different graphics, um, made and, and linked in there for you guys for the verse mapping template that we do and the, uh, soap method template that we have in there as well, in case you want to print those out and use those for doing this study. All right, so um, we've already done our praying. We've gotten all of our supplies ready. I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit about the context that they have here on the front of the One Step Closer Bible. And then if Amanda has anything else that she wants to add to the context that she's found on Enduring Word or Google or anything like that, she'll add that in. And then we'll just get started with reading scripture. So this, this One Step Closer Bible says, then as you are still reeling life, oh, sorry, what do you do when life caves in? What do you do when everything and everyone seems to be against you? Your spouse dies and you are left alone. You lose your job and your source of income. You lose a child, a friend, or a dream. Then, as you're still reeling, life suddenly deals you another harsh blow, another tragedy. Now what do you do? Do you run away, crawl inside yourself, lock out the world? Is there anything left to live for? The Book of Ruth is the story of what one young widow did when life dealt her one tragedy after another. I think it's important to note here, too, that Ruth was not a Hebrew. She was not an Israelite. She was not a child of Yah, right? She was a foreigner. So um, whenever life is dealing her one tragedy after another, it is a story of challenge and inspiration for each of us who faces circumstances beyond our control. Ruth was a young woman from Moab, a country and culture foreign to the Israelites. She became the wife of an Israelite whose family had fled to Moab, seeking to escape famine in Israel. Through this marriage, Ruth became the daughter-in-law of Naomi, another Moabite woman. Orpah married Naomi's other son. 
It must have hurt Naomi to see her sons marry girls from a hated ethnic group. Not only were her sons breaking with ethnic purity, they were also marrying outside of their faith, marrying girls who did not know or worship the one true God. Ethnic difference and religious difference teamed up. It was the perfect opportunity for family tension. Apparently, that tension never came. Instead, Naomi seems to have accepted these two girls as her own daughters. Then tragedy hit. Life caved in. Both Naomi's sons died, apparently about the same time. Her husband had died some years earlier, so all three women were now left as widows. In Bible times, being a widow was a very tough life. No insurance, no social security, no pension plans, no savings accounts, no jobs for women, nothing but poverty and loneliness. What do you do when life caves in? Do you run? Do you seek self-interest first? Do you put loved ones last in line? Remember Ruth. There was an easy way out for her. Her mother-in-law offered to release both her and Orpah from any obligation, freeing them to return to their homes and presumably to marry again. Orpah accepted that offer with no hard feelings from Naomi. But Ruth chose the hard way, the way of faithfulness and commitment. She chose to accompany Naomi back to Israel, which was for Ruth a foreign and potentially hostile land. Yet Ruth remained with Naomi, supported her, cared for her, loved her. The next time your life caves in, remember Faith's or Ruth's faithfulness. Remember her commitment to family and to God. Self was last. God and others came first. And just wait until you see what God had in store for her. That's pretty cool, right? Like that's that's a really cool way of looking at like a new lens, a new way of looking at Ruth, not just like the fact that she was not an Israelite and she chose to become one, right? Which was always really cool in my eyes, but her servant heart, the fact that she could be such a servant, right? She could be somebody that cared so much about serving others and, and, and taking care of her family that she was willing to give up any hope at having a normal life, right? Like she gave that up. She chose to stay with Naomi. She gave that up um, and she wasn't even a child of Yah. So that means that that adds, I, I guess to me, just right off the bat without even reading any of the scripture, that adds a further understanding to me of like, we we can't judge other people just because they aren't where we are yet, Right. You have no idea what somebody else's heart is. You have no idea how they are treating other people, even if they are not a believer yet, even if they are not somebody that is walking in the faith, right? Um, I see that every day with my husband. My husband is not a believer, but my husband is a great man. My husband takes care of his family. My husband takes care of his friends, right? He loves people and he serves people. And that's, that's important for us to remember, especially when the world is trying so hard to divide us and make us be pit against one another. That's important to remember. Do you have anything to add to the context that you found on Google or anything like that? Well, I do. I'll read from the little thing that it gives in the books of the Bible made easy book that I found. Um, so it was written in 1350 to 1000 BC by an unknown author, author but it's possibly Samuel. The purpose is to demonstrate the faithfulness and kindness that God desires for us. Um, it gives a summary of it, but we'll we'll get into that. Um, Jesus and Ruth, the idea of a redeemer is important when we think of Jesus. Jesus redeemed us from our fallen low state. More directly, Ruth and Boaz, our ancestors of Jesus, our savior, the ultimate guardian redeemer. Then they have a key verse 
Um, Ruth replied to Naomi, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And then it also has um, everybody's names and what they mean and all that. Um, I do have a little bit of a breakdown of Ruth and Orpah. Do you want me to do that now or? Yeah, no, you can go ahead and do that okay. now. Okay, so I broke down the two daughter-in-laws. Okay, so you have Ruth. Her name means friendship or compassionate friend, loving, caring name. Orpah's name means neck or fawn. This means to like turn away or scared, run away. Um, they are both from Moab. They both married Israelite brothers. Um, I don't know how to say their names. It's like Mahalan and Kelon. I don't know. They are from the tribe of Judah. Mahalan's name means sickness, and Kelon's name means wasting. Um, and they, those men were born in a time of famine. They are both widows. Uh, Ruth chose to stay with Naomi and follow an unknown path that God had put her on. Orpah chose to play it safe and go back to what she knew. Uh, Ruth went on to go to Bethlehem and Orpah went on back to Moab. Uh, Ruth remarried Boaz and it doesn't say if Orpah remarried. There's not a lot on her. Ruth is in the lineage of Jesus. And Ruth is the great grandma to David. And Orpah is the mother to Goliath. And David killed Goliath in the valley of Elahem. I don't know. And it also said that Ruth and Orpah may have been sisters, daughter to the king of Moab, E-G-L-O-N. Eglon? I don't know. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't know that they could possibly be sisters. Yeah, so. never, I never would have thought about them being sisters and i also didn't know that orpa was the mother of goliath yeah i'm totally crazy over that and missed that part like i didn't even know that yeah see that's so, why it's important guys to like do do this prep work before you read right like do the prep work look it up find what their names mean find out whatever other information you can find out about them before you even dive into scripture because it changes the way that you're going to interpret scripture yeah that was awesome thank you amanda Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and read chapter one, and then we'll go over that, see anything that stood out to us, um, make our notes, highlight what we're going to highlight, yada, 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 all that stuff. And then we'll see how much time we have and go on to chapter two and all that. Um, so the copy of um, the One Step Closer Bible has like those little labels above it or whatever. And the first label is Elimelech moves his family to Moab. But whenever I'm on um, Eastward, it says Naomi widowed. So <laughs> I don't know where, where everybody comes up with their little titles on it, but even the titles are different depending on what um, translation you're reading. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. I'm highlighting as I go, sorry. Um, The man's name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephratites, Ephratites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpha, or Orpah and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, 
both Malon and Killian died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. When Na- then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, what should you go? Why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not. My daughters, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her, gr- her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The woman asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. Mara. Down in the footnotes, it says Naomi means pleasant and Mara means bitter. So she wanted to be called bitter for the Almighty had made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? And the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring in the beginning of the barley harvest. So late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. That stands out to me because that is going to be um, pretty near a feast day. I know that because our feast days are all around harvest times. Um, so I want to, I, I'm highlighting that because I know I want to look up and see which, which feast day that is. I want to say that it is the feast of first fruits, but I need to make sure. Um, and then the part that I highlighted at the very beginning, a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. If he knew Right. Like you have to you have to remember that like this is an Israelite moving into a foreign land where there's all the pagans. Right. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would he leave where his people have always been, where where God had given them this land? Why would he leave that and go to this other place, knowing that they're not supposed to marry the pagan people they're not supposed to live with the pagan like why would he do that there was a reason okay we we know that there was a reason right um we might not necessarily know what the reason is based off of scripture but we know from amanda's research that they were born during a time of famine so they were it must have been pretty stinking bad it must have been a pretty bad famine for them to go against everything that was in the law right to move there and then that just makes you think 
like, or at least me, it makes me stop and think, was this all orchestrated by Yah in the first place? Kind of like Joseph being the favorite son and being given the dreams that he was given. And then he relays those dreams to his brothers. And then his brothers are jealous of his coat and his dreams. And then they sell him into slavery, which happens to get him taken to Egypt. And then he's working for the Pharaoh there and he's interpreting dreams. Like all of these things happen simply for the Israelites to be held in captivity for 400 years. And then for Moses to set them free. Yeah. Like, and see, uh, then I went, sorry, I went, to you can't run away from your problems and i took it more as like mm -hmm. um jonah running in from nineveh you yeah. know and what ended up happened is uh elimelech and his sons disobeyed god and marrying the moabite women and then they died because they didn't do what god said yeah and that's where my brain took it law. no that's exactly right they didn't follow the law the law clearly mm -hmm. states it doesn't say like you're not supposed to go in and intermingle with these people unless there's a famine. And then at that point in time, you can go and do whatever you want. Like if there's a famine, all bets are off. Like that's not what it says. Like yeah. It literally says that you're not supposed to marry these people. Like he told them you're not supposed to be in with these people. You're not supposed to take on their, their ways of worship. You're not supposed to do those things. Right. And then they did it anyway. And then what did they get for it? Right. Once they married Ruth and Opar, the women didn't change their religion to the men's. They kept, worshiping their little g gods you know and doing their own thing and i don't know if it was um after ruth was with boaz that she was like i'm done with these false gods and well i think right here, she, I mean, she, tells, she tells naomi your god will be my god mm -hmm. right so it sounds like she makes the decision maybe not in action yet but it sounds like she makes the decision right there as as she's choosing right like Mm -hmm. I'm making this choice. I'm not going back home. And if that means I'm putting down my gods, my little G gods in honor of your God, then that's what I'm going to do. So that that's pretty cool too, because it, it makes you see the different ways that Yah calls people to him. It's not always just, um, it's not always just like this big, I don't know how to say it. Like, like a big quaking moment in your life where you're like, all of a sudden you're a believer, right? Sometimes you do it. Sometimes you go to church because your wife asks you to go to church and then your, your, your heart is slowly softened. Right. So Ruth is choosing Yah, not because she wants to choose Yah, but because she wants to choose Naomi. That's her family. Now she wants to be with Naomi. And then obviously, as we get further on into the story, we're going to hear how she is then deciding to choose Yah as well. But the same can be said too with, um, Abraham, right? His his father had all of these little G gods. He was raised in this environment of all of this idol worship, right? But Yah still chose him to be the father of all, right? Like he still chose Abraham to be the father of all of it um, because he saw his heart. He saw how he was a servant to Sarai, right? Um, Sarah, before her name was changed, he knew that she was barren and chose her to be his wife anyway, because why nobody else was going to marry her knowing that she was barren. Nobody was going to willingly marry the barren lady. So Yah saw his heart, chose him to be the leader of his people. Right. And then went on. Yah sees Ruth's heart and he's going to move in amazing ways. Was there anything that stood out for you in this or anything else that stood out for you in this? Well, I guess in just that bit, I kind of got like, um, 
that we have to learn to adapt when things change you know things are going to change constantly in our lives and we have to learn to either go with it or we fight against it and most of the time when you fight against it it's not going to turn out very well for you um and i guess when it comes to naomi i kind of like she was just kind of wallowing in her grief it seemed like to me and ruth was trying to move forward and find hope my husband's trying to call me hold on to say i'm going to decline that okay sorry <laughs> sorry not today sorry dear <laughs> um yeah so i just kind of thought when i first read through ruth um a couple of years ago when i first started my walk i didn't see what the big hubbaloo was about ruth i was just was yeah. like this is just this old woman is just dragging her daughter-in-law with her just and complaining seemed, the entire time very oddly placed right like it's yeah it's like, it's just a story. It's like some, like a campfire story. Like somebody's sitting around yeah. telling a story and it's like, why is this in here? How is this? Yeah. And then like you read through it again. And that's the thing with the Bible. It is the living word. And at different times in your life, things are going to pop at you differently, you know? And now that I'm a little bit more mature in my walk, I can see, I can see God in this more than before. It was just like, I think even the first time I read it, I was messaging you like, what does this mean? I don't understand. And um, I didn't understand what the big deal was about, but it actually is a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so Enduring Word has a couple of really cool things that are just jumping out at me right away. Um, how it said in the days when the judges ruled, that's important to note right there where you, you wouldn't think that it would be. I'm going to circle that. Um, when the judges ruled because that right there that simple two words tells you so much about the the context right there um you know that by looking at the books before or after ruth right like what was going on there um the days when the judges ruled were actually very dark days for israel the period was categorized by the phrase everyone did what was right in his own eyes i.e. Elimelech being like, okay, well, things are getting a little hairy. We're going to just like scoot it on over here to this pagan place and we're going to go live there, right? Um, judges 17.6. So I'm going to write that. I always like to put my um, other scripture references right here on like the side of my whatever chapter we're reading, like in the side notes. Uh, judges 18.1. And 19 one. And then the last one is 21 25. So judges 17 6, 18 1, 19 1, and 21 25. Yeah. Because in the Tony Evans, it's, it points out the 21 25. It says, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. So that's something. Yep. And, and then if you go down where it's talking about the famine in the land, the note that enduring word says is y'all specifically promised that there would always be plenty in the land if Israel was obedient. Therefore, the fact that we know that there was a famine in the land, which is what drove him to leave, meant that Israel as a nation was not being obedient unto the Lord. And then the reference for that is going to be Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13 through 17. 
So again, that's just adding more to the context here. Um, they went to sojourn. That means that they left without the intention or with the intention to return. So they weren't planning on staying gone forever. The next, the next verse tells us the name of the man was Elimelech and his intention was a short visit, which turned into 10 tragedy filled years. And Elimelech never was able to return to Israel. The name Elimelech means God is king, but he didn't really live as if God was his king because he did not trust in his provision. And then he was met with tragedy. Now, that's not to say that every single time we disobey, we're going to be met with tragedy, right? But we know, we see in scripture and we see in our day-to-day -day lives, when we are obedient, we receive blessing. It might not be buckets of cash blessing, right? But we receive blessing. We receive his peace, his shalom. We receive that little extra nudge of strength that we need to endure an issue with our kids. We receive help with a situation that we've been praying about for forever, right? And whenever we're not obedient, when he's telling us what we're supposed to do, I don't mean not obedient as in we don't do what somebody else told us we're supposed to do according to their own interpretation of the Bible. If Yah has told us to do something and then we don't do it, we can clearly start to see his, his provision being pulled from us, right? Like I know whenever the enemy starts to attack me, not all the time, sometimes I, I know whenever I'm not being obedient, that attack from the enemy is because he let that attack that attack happened you know what i mean like yeah, is yeah. Like, hey, well you don't want to listen to me so i'm not gonna help you i'm just gonna step back and yeah. watch it happen like I'm a let you listen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and like the blessings they won't like it's not like oh i did what you told me to do boom it's right there in my hand right it can take a while for the blessings to show up and then you'll be like oh there, there it is, is. yeah and same goes with the when you don't follow what he says you know mm -hmm. so Yep. And it'll always like whenever, whenever it happens, you'll, it, he makes it click for you. He mm -hmm. makes it click for you very much. Like the other day, um, I was, I was stressing about the court situation that we had going on and it just came to me like out of nowhere. I never even thought of it before that the, the reason, the lesson, the reason why this was happening for the last nine years wasn't to make my life be hard, which is how I had taken it the whole time. Like, why is he allowing this to happen? This is so hard. Like it's so hard because of this. He was showing my children. He was showing my sons how not to be a father, right? Like I, I can guarantee you not a single one of these seven boys will ever have a child and walk away from it the way that their father has walked away from them. It will never happen. It is also showing my daughters who to look for as a husband, right? Who to, who to look for as the father of your children. It is showing my children to take their time. It is showing my children that they don't want to struggle the way that I've had to struggle by making the wrong choice and not letting y'all lead my life, right? Um, and it's also showing your children how their mother didn't give up and fought tooth and nail for them and then that's what they should be doing for their children as well someday is to fight for them no matter what no matter how much trouble and grief and i just want to give up and give up on this if you fight through it the reward is there and you got rewarded for it i did i did i got rewarded for it um my kids got rewarded for it we got rewarded for our faithfulness and for the fact that i finally was able to just give up control of it and let y'all control it right and then things that I never imagined happening happened. 
<laughs> like, like I didn't just win. I like won extra. <laughs> so it's like, it's like that only happens whenever God makes it happen. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't like that. here's some bonus points for you. Right. Like <laughs> it was like, okay, here you go. You're getting what you asked for. And here's like 800 other things too. It's like, yeah. what, how did that, you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, that's just, that's just one example of like 50 that I could give of like, me not realizing it at the time that he was literally trying to teach me something or show me something. Um, and yeah. I was listening and then I wasn't trusting in him. And then I was just making my own situation harder. So the moral of this story, just from chapter one right here is trust in y'all mm -hmm. trust in the heavenly father with all that you have. His provision will always be there. Even if you don't think it will be, even if, even if like the circumstances that you're in right now are looking like I can't buy that loaf of bread that I need to feed my kids right now. I promise you his provision will always be there as long as you remain faithful and trusting in him. Yeah. And then trust is difficult because our human flesh is like, no, we have to do this. And especially if you're raised and have um, somewhat a bit of a trauma in your childhood, like we do, um, it makes you want that control. You need that control. So giving up that control to God is a struggle bus. Absolutely. And it is something that takes time to figure out how to do. So don't beat yourself up if you're like, I just can't do this because we can't do it either sometimes. So, yeah. yeah. Um, when, when Naomi was talking about, are there still sons in my womb? Like she was saying that she couldn't get pregnant again. According to the laws of ancient Israel, if a young woman was left widowed, without having had a son, then one of her deceased husband's brothers was then responsible for being a surrogate father and providing her with a son. Naomi here says that she has no other sons. So that was like a cultural thing. Like, it's not just like this weird, well, yeah, I'm not asking you to have a baby for me to have a husband thing. Like that culturally, that was what would happen, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, the first one I read it, I was like, that's weird. Like... <laughs> Right, right. We can't wrap <laughs> our mind around that right now because that's not yeah. all what we would do now. But yeah, if that would happen today, we'd be like, okay. <laughs> I don't want to marry my husband's brother. Yeah. No offense, Eric. I think you're great, but I'm good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, like, no, yeah, no, just stay over there. I'm just, yeah, I'm good on my own. <laughs> right. And that, and that's, that's such a, <laughs> such a culture shock that, like, that it's just to magnify their decision. You know what I mean? It's to magnify Ruth's decision. And it's also, I guess, to kind of show you don't judge Orpa for choosing to go back home. She's going to, she's going to face the consequences of her choice. Right. But, but culturally what was happening there was no good. <laughs> they, they had no other option. And Ruth truly is just choosing to like flounder. She's choosing to be homeless. Yeah. She's choosing to be starving every day. She is choosing to have zero help. She is choosing, she is willingly choosing to be without everything based yeah. off of her love for Naomi, not her trust in Yah, right? Yeah. And like, we can't look at Orpa as like the bad daughter-in-law, you know? And that's kind of the ways I looked at it before is like, Ruth was the golden child and Orpa was like, you know, peace out. But you had to look at it from then. She wanted a family she wanted to be provided for you know and um in the end she was kind of dealt a bad hand you know because she was killed but um 
I don't remember where I was going with that. I totally lost my train of thought. That happens. <laughs> love when that happens. I love that. Um, yeah, you can't look at Orpa as like the bad daughter-in-law. Yeah. Right, right. She, I mean, she... That, she wept. It says she wept. Right. And none of us would choose what Ruth chose. Yeah. And like, honestly, today, would you choose to go with your mother-in-law and go off into the unknown or would you be like i'm gonna go back to where i know i'm good and i'm mm-hmm. gonna go back to a life i know how to live and be provided for right and it's we not want to be provided going for. into the unknown either it's going into a knowingly destitute situation like yeah. you know you're going to be living in a cardboard box on the side of the road holding a sign up begging for money yeah and you know people there who live there are going to hate you because of where you come from right are you going to go follow somebody and go and live in that situation? I think yeah. not. <laughs> I, I yeah. think not. No, I, I would not choose that. So Ruth um, having this grand faith and love and this servant's heart that she has for Naomi is unimaginable to me. I would not be able to do that. No, no way. Okay. So chapter two, it says, now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who was kind enough to let me do it. Remember, it is a law in um, Leviticus, in the Torah, that says you are supposed to leave the edges of your crops, right? Like if you're a farmer and you're, you're planting crops, you're supposed to leave the edges of your crops for the sojourner, for the widow, for the orphan. You're supposed to leave that there because they are supposed to be taken care of by everybody in the nation, right? All of Yah's people are supposed to take care of the Ruths and the Naomi's by leaving those crops, by helping them out, right? Um, Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few moments rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. When you gather grain, don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water that they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet, thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such a kindness? I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and your mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come here. Come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all that she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. 
So Ruth gathered barley there all day, and whenever she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. The footnote for that says, oh, well, where did it go? It's not at the bottom of that page. Um, well, it's not at the bottom of that page either. What the heck? Oh, Hebrew. In Hebrew, it was about an ephah, which is 20 quarts or 22 liters. It was on the bottom of the original page. I just don't know how to read, just in case anybody was wondering. Um, she carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Where did you gather all of this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man who in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with this young woman. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe there with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. So the first thing that jumps out at me is that he, Boaz was a relative of Elimelech. And then she says even the closest relative that they have. So again, it's another part of that cultural situation of like, she was supposed to be married still continuing into that family, whether it was by a brother or an uncle or whatever, they're, they're going to do their duty to marry her to, to provide for her. Right. And obviously we know that Ruth and Boaz end up getting married. Yeah. And so like I went up and I looked up King's uh, Kinsman Redeemer and it it helps to kind of like find different um, ways of describing things, kind of help yourself understand a little bit better. So um, it is a friend uh, through faith will ultimately defend and, and vindicate um, a, rel- a male relative who helps a weaker relative in time of need or danger. Um, acts on behalf of a relative who is in trouble. Um, and I can't remember when I was studying it a little bit before, I can't remember somewhere it said that if there wasn't a relative, it could be um, someone that that person made the redeemer. So it didn't actually have to be blood. But I can't yeah. remember where I read that. Yeah, they could so, just choose to be the redeemer. Yeah. Yeah, if there wasn't anybody else there. Yeah. Um, I think that's in that might be in Leviticus. I'm not hundred percent sure on that. Yeah. Leviticus was a, a struggle bus, so <laughs> I don't remember I don't remember much from it. <laughs> uh, something that just jumped out at me from Enduring Word that I did not notice before. And this is why I like love, 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 love having a commentary open or doing a study with other people because we're not always going to see and notice what we need to see and notice right um the first the first verse here now there was a wealthy and influential man in bethlehem named boaz he's wealthy and influential why is he wealthy and influential why does it matter that he was wealthy and influential well it says here there have been very many of them 
During the time of the famine, when Elimelech, Naomi, and their sons left the promised land and went to Moab, disobeying Yah, Boaz stayed behind, and Yah provided for him. In fact, God made Boaz a man of great wealth. Ten years before, Naomi and her family had made a choice, and it was a choice made in a hard time, a time of famine, but they didn't have to make the wrong choice. The people of Bethlehem had not perished from their hunger. They were still there, and they were blessed far more than Naomi's family was blessed. Sometimes we justify our wrong choices because of difficult circumstances, but God will strengthen us. He will bless us to make the right choice, even in different in difficult circumstances. The exact expression rendered a mighty man of wealth is elsewhere translated a mighty man of valor. That's in Judges chapter 11, verse one. Now, Jephath, the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot and Gilead begot Jephath. So what they're, what that's saying there is the, the Hebrew phrase that was translated to a mighty man of valor is the same phrase used in Judges. Um, perhaps We perhaps get the force of it by thinking of our word night. Oh, in this one right here, um, Enduring Word says that this verse is introducing an important word in the book of Ruth, the ancient Hebrew word goel. That is what kinsman is. To say that Boaz was a goel was more than saying that he was a relative. It was saying that he was a special family representative. He was the chieftain of the family. He is the patriarch of the family, right? Like the head, the head patriarch. So everybody is, is going to be working with and for him, right? Because that's culturally, that's how that went the head patriarch, and then everybody worked to support him. So if he's a farmer, everybody's working to be a farmer, right? If your head chieftain, if you're, if you're the patriarch of your family was a fisherman, then everybody was going to be working to, to support that career, right? Everybody was going to be fishermen or net makers or whatever. Um, so that culturally that, that matters. That's a big deal. I'm trying to see if anything else is jumping out at me here. When he told her, the Lord be with you, this shows us something of the heart and the character of Boaz. Apparently his workers loved him and had a good relationship with him. You can often tell the real character of a man in authority by seeing how he relates to the staff that he has and by how they think of him. That's true. God was blessing Ruth already and all because he guided her to Boaz's field. Boaz knew that if Ruth stayed in his fields, she would be blessed continually and she would find companionship among the other young women. She would find protection because he he had told all of the other young men not to touch her and she would find refreshment because he told her drink from this, eat from this, right? As you're going. Um, he wanted to keep her there keep her on the right path he wanted to keep her on that narrow path to yah instead of her just going off onto her own and getting facing all of life's distractions um dealing with some of the chaos that could be coming from these other fields feel free to interrupt me and jump in if you see anything that you want to i'm gonna read you what the tony evans has for two four through eighteen 
When Boaz arrived and learned who the gleaning woman was, he had compassion for her and offered her provision and protection. Ruth couldn't understand why she had found favor with him, especially because she was a Moabite, a foreigner to Israel. Boaz essentially told her that she was simply reaping the blessings of the kind of life she had sown, her kindness and service to her mother-in-law, and the decision to take refuge under the Lord's or permits, wait a minute, under Lord's provision had brought blessings on her own head. The care Ruth had shown to Naomi would have been especially meaningful to Boaz because Naomi's husband had been his relative. Because of Ruth's faithful commitment, Boaz pronounced a blessing on her, asking <clears throat> that the Lord, under whose wings she had come for protection, would provide a spiritual covering for her. To this, Ruth responded with a humble gratitude. Then Boaz graciously provided still further help to her, more than the law required, she, so that she would not have to work as hard as hard to provide for herself. Naomi. So, yeah. There is hope in the midst of hopelessness is what it says. I like that. I really like that. Enduring Word has a really cool um, breakdown of like relating her work in the field to how we need to work for, to build a relationship with Yah. It says, um, God blessed Ruth. Yes, people were generous to her. At the same time, she did have to work very hard to get this. This was a sun up to sundown day. And Ruth worked hard all day long, every day in order to get this blessing, right? Our relationship with Yah is the same. We should use Ruth's example to glean everything we can from the word of God. Ruth worked hard. Ruth had to stoop to gather every single grain. Ruth could only pick up one grain at a time. Ruth had to hold on to each grain and not immediately drop it. Ruth then took the grain home and had to thresh it. Ruth, Ruth took the threshed grain and winnowed it. Ruth was then nourished by the grain, right? So she had to go through this whole every single day, 12-hour days, hard, 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 strenuous labor, then bringing it home and processing it. It's not even like, like she could, it wasn't bread. It wasn't little pieces of, of a loaf of bread that she was picking up, right? Like she's literally picking up grain and then had to go home and turn the grain into something. You <laughs> so know, that's incredibly humbling because even if I go grocery shopping, when I come back, I don't want to cook. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, like, Exactly. I couldn't, I couldn't have made it. <laughs> you know, the microwave society that we have now, uh, yeah. quick and convenient everything is, it really, really, really makes you stop and think like, <laughs> yeah. why do I complain? Why do I ever open my mouth and complain? Right. Ever. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Next uh, time my kids complain about my cooking, I'm going to tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> the um the verse in leviticus or the the law in leviticus where it was telling telling the farmers to make sure that they left the edges of their their crop that is leviticus 19 verse 9 through 10 for anybody that wants to make note of that <clears throat> um so like amanda had said uh, it says in the tony evans bible um he went above and beyond what the law required right like the law told him you have to do at least this and he was like i see you that and i'm going to raise you this i'm going to go ahead and i'm going to do extra Right. Because he wanted to make extra sure that she was taken care of. Uh, I don't I don't know. It doesn't ever say anything about the way that she looks. I wonder how beautiful Ruth was. 
you know, it says, it says multiple, multiple, multiple times that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. Even at 90 years old, Sarah was a fetching woman. Like the Pharaoh wanted yeah. to like, steal her for himself when she was 90 years old. Like, <laughs> like she was that pretty, you know what I mean? I wonder how pretty Ruth was. And I like to think that she was really like, um, plain, but like you could see like the, inner beauty you know yeah. is kind of the way my the head is coming out. you know yeah mm-hmm. but i think that would probably make the most sense especially since it's not mentioned anything about her beauty yeah yep. i don't know like when i was looking at um i did a download for you guys for just like a little, pretty little picture and like the pictures that i look at of her everyone's kind of depicting her kind of that way you know like there's not something that's like outstanding that sticks out you know about her but not um unpleasant to look at either so she's she's like she's like me and you yeah (laughs) we got this we're beautiful because we're cool yeah All right. I don't think we have time to go on to chapter three because I am going to have to take a kiddo to um, CrossFit. But let us let us know, guys, if you like this, if you like how we're doing it together with you. Um, Also, like I said, email us, let us know if you if you want to continue this method. Right. But let us know what you're adding to it as well. Like this, this can be a conversation. Comment in the um the show comment things you know like whenever you're on spotify or you're on apple Podcasts or whatever there's a section for you to leave comments there do that or email us your takeaways what other verses did you find that tie to this or 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 references um in this share this in in social media and share your takeaway there we we can have conversation about this i know that we don't really have a, a place where we can sit together and do this on zoom when i wouldn't that be lovely if we could all do that? But if Amanda and I struggle to get our schedule aligned, imagine how hard it would be to get a schedule <laughs> aligned with like 20 people. Um, or if you, want to, if you want us to like start a Facebook page that we could put things yeah. and chat about there. You know, if that's something that you guys would be interested in, you know, yeah, let between us the three of us, we might be able to make a Facebook page run. So <laughs> we probably could, as long as you guys are willing to give us grace on the fact yeah. that we might not be the most professional sounding people on Facebook. Every- <laughs> Yeah, if a, if a Facebook page is something that you guys want so that we we can have uh, a little bit more personal conversation about this, let us know. That That's definitely something we can get together. Um, and we are, I'm not going to make any promises on what day, but in, it, we're not going to say like next Thursday. If we have time tomorrow to record the next part of this, we will. If we, if we have time on Sunday or Monday or whatever, we will record the next part of this and get chapter three and chapter four done for you guys. Um, we love you. And we hope that this was fulfilling for you. And we hope that if you are struggling, like we are struggling right now, if you're just, it, I feel like the world is just struggling right now. I feel like all of us are, um, you're not alone. We're here. We're all on the struggle bus together. And I don't know about you, but that, that helps me. That helps me to know that like through the fog, somebody else is there. Even if I can't see them, even if I can't feel them, like I know, I just know that they're, they're there and I'm not by myself and that makes it easier. And just know you guys can just always email or anything saying, I am having a hard time with this. I could use the prayers and we will do it. I will add you to my little prayer list. I have a prayer board, you know, just because we don't know each other doesn't mean we can't help each other. Exactly. Exactly. So with that, guys, we love you. Um, Remember, faith is a verb and we will see you next time.
hope that you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to join in on the conversation in the comments. Let us know your thoughts, your takeaways, or even offer up some suggestions for future episodes. If you're enjoying our time of study together, please tell your friends about it so we can study with them too. You can always screenshot this episode and post it into your socials. Don't forget to check the show notes for any resources that we included in today's episode. May Yahweh, the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, bless you today and all of your days. Thank you.